certain privileges based upon their skin color. Uh, it's interesting that in our passage today, however, despite any kind of skin color or race, we find some privileges, and that is what we're going to look at today, the privileges of the believer. So when we begin today in chapter uh, 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Last week we concluded the description of those who are without Christ. Those who are in the flesh. The Bible described them as people that are hostile to God. Enemies of God. Therefore the wrath of God will abide on them. We found out that they don't submit to the laws of God. They have no desire for anyone to rule over them. God's law, since it reveals His character and nature, they don't want anything to do with God's law or holiness or righteousness. We also learned that they cannot submit to God's law because they don't have the moral ability to do so. The reason being, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And they cannot please God. They fail to uh, have spiritual discernment. They are blinded to the truth. They have a debased mind when it comes to holy things. So man's fallen condition is patterned by his nature. They are of the Father, the devil. They are not of God. So we have to understand that because what the Bible says, Jesus says... He said, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Two categories as we talked about last week. The lost and saved. Sheep and goats. Dear friend, a goat will never be a sheep. Listen to what I just said. A goat will never be be a sheep because Jesus said a sheep the sheep hear my voice and so the lost don't hear the voice of God unless they're one of his sheep until he calls them to himself but now we come to the privileges of the believer and I want to move through this pretty quickly because I have a lot to cover in these verses first of all there's the privilege of his promised Presence. Now, I want you to look. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells within you. What has happened to you at generate, regeneration? The Holy Spirit, as Paul stated earlier, circumcised your heart. Romans chapter 2, 28-29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. 
not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Folks, this is the privilege of a promised presence because this happened not even just in the New Testament, but it was promised from the Old Testament. In different places in the Old Testament, we have God speaking of giving people a new heart and a new spirit. Listen to Ezekiel 11. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will move the heart of stone from their flesh and give them uh, a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes, keep my rules, obey them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. He continues in chapter 36. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. As you move into prophecy, into Jack, Joel chapter 2, he says that it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So we see from the Old Testament, there is this promise that the spirit is going to be given. John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Acts chapter 2, when the pouring out of the Spirit happened on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and says, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. He goes on and says, Brother, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you may yourselves are that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what happens? Believers, you who are sitting here today who know Jesus Christ, you fulfill the promise of God from the beginning of time, God's covenant with His chosen people. Even though they rebelled against Him, He promised that they would have a new heart, a new loyalty, but not for their sake, but for His sake and for His glory. Jesus promised the Spirit to His disciples. We also receive the Spirit of God at regeneration. Now we have the privilege of that presence, that Spirit of God dwelling in us. What does that mean? The word dwell, there's root. It's from the word oikos. It means house or it means residence. The Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Christ the Son, 
takes up residence. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that someone comes and goes. They actually come and they stay. He lives within you. And so you don't need to take this for granted, dear people. This great privilege that you have is that the Spirit of Christ is in you. Now listen, you don't need, as you may hear oft times, Oh Lord, we invite your presence to fill this place because the presence of Christ is already within you. It is here. It is there. You don't have to invite it as if there's going to be this certain kind of thing and clouds are going to fill the auditorium and little angel dust is going to start falling from the rafters and we're going to know that it's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in you. And that is the privilege that you have, that you have the privilege of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Second, you have the privilege of being a precious possession of God. He goes on in verse 9 and says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So if you have the Spirit of Christ, you do belong to Him. You are His precious possession. Going back to Romans chapter 1, this is why he writes. He says, Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. That's one of the reasons he wrote the book of Romans. He says, I'm writing to you about the obedience of the faith because you belong to Christ. Peter said the first same thing, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's why Paul also said you are bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to Christ. You are His precious possession. Folks, we've got to get this understanding in this. We need to look at this because there is a teachings and there are songs being sung on Christian radio. I heard one the other day. And oftentimes when I hear stuff like that, I just want I, I, I just want to call the radio station and just say, what are you thinking or are you not thinking about what you just played and what was just sung. One of the songs that we just saying says, I was worthy to receive the blood of Jesus Christ. I was like, what? You know? What? No, He made you worthy, but you weren't worthy. In fact, you were helpless. You were sinful. You were as... We just learned in our Sunday school class, Martin Luther called himself a sack of maggots. He said, this is who I am in my sin. He said, this is what it is. And because you've been called, yes, God put a value upon you by calling you, but were you worthy of it? No, He made you worthy. And you became His possession. See, that kind of looks down and says, oh, that's kind of like, oh, that one, that one right there. That one right there. We need that one because they are worthy in our sins. No. No one is worthy of the grace of God. 
It's all because of His good pleasure and His good will that He even chooses us to be saved and we become His precious possession. Don't take that for granted. We are His precious possession, but we also have the privilege of a precious position. Look at verse 10. It says this, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now I want you to understand something real quickly about the body is dead because of sin. I believe that that's teaching us about death to the physical body as a result of sin. So in this, the believer and the unbeliever have something in common. They will both die. The statistics are in people. One out of one person dies. Right? That's it. Every one of us says that we're going to die. And so we need to understand this. And we're going to continue to suffer the consequences of sin because of the fall. Yet, the believer has a precious position because of righteousness. That's what it says. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. One translation, and I like that translation. I believe it is true. More to the Greek, it says the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Christ is in us. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us as a believer. When God sees our position in Christ, He sees Christ, our righteousness. And the reason that is such a precious position because never, not everyone is in that position. Since Christ is now in us, and this is a mystery, we are also in Christ. We are there. Paul states, listen to Ephesians, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ, by grace we've been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What's He saying? Christ made us alive by His Spirit. We have that life. What did Jesus say? I've come to give you life and life more what? Abundantly. So we have abundant life. Christ extended grace to us when we deserve death and hell, that's what it says, by grace you've been saved. Christ raised us up with Him and seated us in heavenly places positionally. That's where we are, spiritually. And He gives us the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness. All this is by grace, mercy, and kindness. So what does it mean by application to our lives? Your position is sealed and it is secured by Christ. This is security of the believer, dear friends, dear Christians. Because I want you to think about this. If Christ is seated above and you've been raised up with Him and you're seated with Him in heavenly places, as long as Christ lives... You will never die. Now, that's important. As long as Christ lives, you live. So that's the question. Will Christ ever die again? No. And if He is going to always be alive eternally, since He raised you up and you are in Him, 
you live there also. You are there and you will always be there. You will always have this position. You can't lose that. For those who state that they can lose their salvation, they're not basing it upon the position that the believer has in Jesus Christ. They're looking at our sins. There are people that will say that, well, if you continue to sin and you do this and you do that, at the time of your death, if you are still in sin, you're going to lose your security. What they're saying is, is my sin or their sin is stronger than the power of God to keep them. And they're saying that Christ doesn't have the power to resurrect them. It's all based upon what they do. No, this is what Christ has done. Christ has seated us in the heavenly places. And as long as Christ is alive, interceding for you, sitting at the right hand of the Father, you are going to be alive. You are going to live in that position. You will always have it. No one is going to snatch you from His hand. Second application is this. The Holy Spirit in us enables us to live a life of righteousness. We are given a desire. When we come to know Christ, we're given a desire to know His will and what pleases Him. But what we find out through Scripture is that we cannot please Him in our own strength. We have to have the Holy Spirit's aid. And that leads us to a fourth point. We have the privilege of spiritual power. Verse 11. Listen to what it says. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Spirit of God dwelling in you is the spirit of power. It is the same power by which Jesus, uh, which God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what it says. The spirit of him, I believe he's talking about the Father, raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Well, how did Jesus, how did God raise Jesus from the dead? By his power. So that power is in you. And it is by that power that you are made alive. You are quickened by the Spirit. That caused you to be born again. This is what it says. Peter again says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a spiritual power, dear friends, that you do not see it's not visible to your eyes. It's a power that takes a dead person and it raises them to newness of life. This is a power that takes the worst of people and actually makes them saints. It makes them saints. Their lives are never the same. I believe that's why Paul wrote again in Ephesians as he prays for believers. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glory, inheritance of Satan, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, power, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here's what Paul is saying. He wants them to concentrate on a power that was not their own. 
They did not come to Christ through their own wisdom, but through power according to the working of His great might. So as He's praying, as He's talking, He's praying for them. He's basically saying, if you would just concentrate on this power, which we have, you will be filled with thankfulness and give God the glory constantly. Now I know that I could probably come to each and every one of you and say, tell me when you were born again. And you would tell me of the time, the hour, what you understood, what you knew, what you were, what you became. And folks, even though I don't see the power at that time, I would know that the power was exerted in your life because your life is changed. It has been changed. We don't need to go around and look for power displays drive down a road up on 45 uh, down the road 45 going towards the woodlands there's a big huge sign up here that says the church come and see the power of signs miracles and wonders every Sunday what are they emphasizing they're wanting to see a manifested power they're wanting to see something tangible they're wanting to say this is what this is this is what that is and yet we have a power dwelling within us the privilege of spiritual power and it's that very power that raised us from a dead life to one that is alive that's what we should be rejoicing in and concentrating on that power that dwells in us we are in the kingdom dear people because of that power and I pray that you're grateful and thankful and full of wonder and all that God would think on you and exercise His power in you. And He said He did this from the foundation of the world. That is absolutely amazing. What a beautiful privilege. The fifth thing. Because of that, we have the privilege of a secure pledge. Look at uh, the rest of verse 11. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is a secure pledge. Listen to what He's saying. It's a promise. This is a reference to our physical bodies that will be resurrected at the end days. We have the pledge that we will have a new, imperishable, immortal body when we enter into heaven. Praise God. Paul states this in two other places. Philippians chapter 3, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Notice what he says, lowly bodies. How many of you have felt lowly? Right? Your lowly bodies. It's going to be transformed to him like his glorious body. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Then he goes on and says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on an imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to leave these old bodies behind and we're going to have some new ones. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But here's also the last thing. Verses 12 and 13. This is the privilege of a new priority. Listen to what it says. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We see the little word, so then, Paul is telling us he's concluding what he stated before. What was once our priority was to fulfill the lust of the flesh because we were lost. We are no longer obligated to do so. We are not slaves to sin anymore. That's exactly what he talked about in Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7. We are slaves to what? Righteousness. So we now have a new priority. It is to be walking in this righteousness by killing sin. It's walking in righteousness by killing sin. How? By the Spirit. By the power that dwells within you. It says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Folks, the Spirit of God is active. It's active. It's in our lives to help battle against sin. Who doesn't battle against sin? Sin's going to be with us until God calls us home, but it has been rendered powerless by the cross and does not have dominion over us. If the Spirit of God is actively working in us to convict us of sin and that we should deal with our sin. So we have a new responsibility, a new priority then to cooperate with God in this endeavor. If we refuse to cooperate with the conviction of the Holy Spirit when He convicts us of sin, of forsaking it, confessing it and forsaking it, repenting of it, if we refuse to do this, this is then going to incur the discipline of God who is then going to bring us back to walking in the Spirit. Now, folks, understand this. If we continue to harden our hearts against the Spirit and continue to grieve the Spirit and continue in sin as a believer, there are times when God will take a believer home. It's what John calls the sin unto death. That does happen. Understand that. Because you become so hardened, stubborn, refusing the convicting of God, basically searing your conscience, God will take that believer home. However, as our text says, though, 
We are to put to death anything that causes us to sin. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 6? We're to reckon ourselves dead to sin, count it as a fact, we're dead to sin, and we're alive to God. Alive how? By the Spirit. And by the Spirit, through His power, helps us to mortify sin, to kill sin. There's an old Puritan by the name of John Owen. In his famous book called The Mortification of Sin, this is what he says. He asks this question. Do you mortify? Have you ever had anybody ask you that question? Just walk up to you and go, hey, do you mortify? But he says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Let no man think to kill sin with few easy and gentle strokes. He who hath loves smitten a serpent, if he follow not on his blow until it be slain, may repent that he ever began the quarrel. And so it is who undertakes to deal with sin. And so it is that person who pursues it not constantly to the death. Think about that. Well, I'm just going to kill a little bit of my sin, but I'm not going to keep part of it. What's it going to do? Like the old serpent, it's going to come back and it's going to bite you. So, who resides in you to do this killing? You're not alone in the struggle. The Spirit of God dwells within you to give you the power to overcome sin. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we walking in that privilege and priority? Are we mortifying the flesh? We're going to get into Romans chapter 13 where it talks about make no provision for the flesh. One of the reasons we get in so much trouble and so much sin and struggle with sin is because we make provision for it. We don't kill it. We just kind of cover it. No, it's not so bad. I'll just it right over here. What does God say? Kill it. Kill it. Don't manage it. Kill it. So many times in my counseling practice that I had, I was teaching people that came in with anger problems 10 steps on how to deal with your anger. 10 steps is what I was taught. 10 steps how to deal with anger through a few verses in there until began to understand, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It talks about the fruit of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh are, and it talks about anger, malice, and fits of rage. And I realized I was giving wrong counsel. I then started saying, let's not manage it. Let's kill it. Every time it Raises its ugly head. Smite it. Hip it by, as it says in the Old Testament. Kill it. Crucify it. You are dead to sin and you are alive to God. What a great privilege that we have that it doesn't have to have dominion over us. So, through all this scripture, what we're learning here, we have so many privileges by being called by God. 
called into this wonderful relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take it for granted. Give Him praise daily that you, that you know that you've got power dwelling within you. That you have victory over sin. That one day you're going to take off this body and you're going to put on a glorious, immortal body. This is not the end, dear folks. This is part of us going on a journey till we get home. And when we get home, we're going to have, we're going to experience even more privileges. Casting off our crowns, bowing down at the feet of Jesus, and giving Him praise for all eternity and saving us. That's something we can be excited about. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, the privileges that you give us. Lord, I pray that as we dwell upon these things, as we know and understand the Spirit of God lives within us, help us, Lord, to know that immeasurable power that has been given to us, even that power that raised Jesus from the dead. Help us to see how alive we are in you. Grant this congregation victory this week and weeks to come. Grant them power to overcome sin and to live a life of righteousness as a display of your glory to a watching world who is seeing how Christians respond. So, Father, I pray that there will be light in the midst of darkness, a shining light, Lord, that they would see righteousness, holiness, Priorities in place. And Father, that they would say, What is it that makes them so different? So, Father, I pray that you would lead them with that power this week. Let them call upon you and be killing sin. And I ask it in Jesus' name.